0: Hey guys, it's Naya. Welcome back to another episode of my podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the last two that I released. Um, Feel free to leave a comment. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. Any feedback is welcomed. And also just let me know what sorts of topic you're also interested in having me review for you guys. Um, Because I will accept any topics, really, any nursing topics or just medical topics, but anything that interests you nursing related. So this episode is going to be about, um, I took care of the patient. Her main diagnosis was not this, but she had this alongside her other complications that she was in the ICU for. And this patient had acquired hemophilia because usually it is seen in males, but she is a female. So she had acquired Hemophilia. So I got interested and wanted to review hemophilia. Um, I will do hemophilia A because there is hemophilia B. And this is a hereditary X linked um, chromosomal congenital bleeding disorder, which is caused by deficiency or absence of coagulation factor 8. This can be characterized by spontaneous bleeding. Or bleeding following trauma or surgery. This can also um, be characterized by bleeding into the joints or muscles, um, and then also soft tissue bleeding. This is also called classic hemophilia or factor eight deficiency. So essentially um, it is classified by severity in unaffected individuals, um, factor eight. Clotting activity ranges between fifty to hundred and fifty percent, and then mild factor eight activity. With severe bleeding after surgery or major trauma occurs in about fifty-five percent of patients. Um, spontaneous bleeding is rare in the mild form of factor eight deficiency. Moderate um, factor eight activity with occasional spontaneous bleeding and prolonged bleeding with surgery or minor trauma occurs in about 15% of patients. And then, of course, the severe form, which can happen with severity of spontaneous bleeding into joints and muscles, occurs in about 35% of patients. And then, of course, the carriers of um, hemophilia A are female um, with one affected X chromosome. And then some of the sequelae of hemophilia that usually occur in male patients with hemophilia A can also occur in a certain portion of female carriers. So for pathophysiology, the mutation of factor um, factor VIII gene on the X chromosome resulting in deficiency or absence of factor VIII are those... Um, are some of the causes. Basically, it's a genetic genetic mutation in that gene. And then inherited recessive mutation in about 70% of the cases. And then spontaneous mutation can happen in about 30% of cases for patients who have this. And all male individuals with factor VIII disease-causing mutation have similar severity of disease as other affected males in their families with potential variation in severity due to other genetic and environmental factors. About 10% of female carriers with one factor VIII um, disease-causing mutation in one normal um, gene have factor um, 8 activity of less than 40%. So they might get some mild bleeding disorder even if they are just carriers. So this can happen. Um, pathophysiology. Factor VIII is an essential cofactor in the coagulation um, cascade. This is encoded by factor VIII gene on the long arm of the X chromosome. And then it is synthesized primarily in the endothelium. And once in circulation, it binds to and is stabilized by von Willebrand factor. Once activated by trace amounts of thrombin, it is released from the von Willebrand factor and binds to a phospholipid membrane surface. It then interacts with factor 10 to become the intrinsic system activator of factor X and then a critical step in early stages of coagulation. Severity of disease and bleeding complications are inversely um, proportionate to Factor VIII activity in patients with hemophilia A. Um, So factor VIII mutation severity depends on where the mutation is happening in the gene and how much mutation has happened. Let's see. Let's see what else I have for you guys here. Okay, so for the history and physical of this disease, Typically, it presents with a bleeding tendency. Um, bleeding manifestations vary, usually correlates with the degree of coagulation factor deficiency. Most bleeding um, occurs internally into the joints. Usually it's spontaneous and then it can also, um, the bleeding can occur in muscles following a trauma event. Spontaneous bleeding in the joint is the most common bleeding manifestation Most common in hinge joints like your ankles, your knees, and your elbows. It's less common in multi-axonal joints like your shoulders, your wrists, your hips. Other sites of spontaneous bleeding include the kidneys, the GI tract, and the brain. Bleeding may be life-threatening, sites of life-threatening. Bleeding include intracranial, the neck, the throat, and the GI tract. With severe hemophilia, spontaneous bleeding into the joints or muscles, mostly in the absence of identifiable cause. So it just happens without something precipitating the bleed. And then without prophylactic treatment, prolonged bleeding or excessive pain and swelling following minor injuries, surgery and tooth extractions may occur. Spontaneous bleeding into joints and muscles causing pain or limping is common in older untreated children. Tingling sensation, tightness in the joint may precede the following symptoms and signs. So pain in the joint, swelling and warmth of the skin over the joint, rapid loss of range of motion or difficulty using the limb compared to before the spontaneous bleeding occurred into the joint. But before you notice the difference in the joint, loss of range of motion due to the joint. Um, hemorrhage limits both extension and flexion of the joint. So with moderate hemophilia A, occasionally spontaneous bleeding, um, they might get prolonged bleeding after surgery or minor trauma. And then with mild Hemophilia A, there is no spontaneous bleeding, or it's really rare to have spontaneous bleeding. They could get severe bleeding after surgery, or they go through a trauma like something hits them, they have a really bad fall. With symptomatic carriers, um, they may state they have increased bruising. They could have prolonged oozing from small wounds, prolonged bleeding after getting their tonsils removed. After a tooth extraction, with dental procedures, surgery, or if the individual has childbirth, um, heavy menstrual bleeding. These are for um, carriers who are symptomatic, um, especially um, at the onset of um, starting their period. They might get heavy menstrual bleeding. Okay, so. Symptom onset. Severe hemophilia A usually presents in the neonatal period. This is diagnosed due to birth or neonatal related procedures and usually is diagnosed by the age of one. And then moderate hemophilia A usually presents in children by age five to six years old. Mild hemophilia, oh sorry, moderate hemophilia. That was moderate hemophilia. Mild hemophilia A often presents later in life, often not diagnosed until they undergo surgery or they have tooth extraction or they have trauma. Something hits them or they have a really bad fall. Bleeding manifestation in newborns and children. Bleeding is typically more frequent in childhood and adolescence um, than it is in adulthood possibly because they're doing more physical activity and they're just vulnerable as kids and there's also rapid growth, so symptoms will be a lot more obvious compared to an adult version of them. So with severe hemophilia A, bleeding from minor mouth injuries, hematoma from minor head bumps are common presenting symptoms in young children. Subcutaneous hematomas are common in early childhood. Common bleeding manifestations in newborns and children age um, that are younger than the age of two include soft tissue, intramuscular bleeding, bleeding following medical procedures such as um, venipuncture, so like if they're getting their blood drawn, placement of a central line if they get um, they need infusion where they need a central line which is more stable than regular peripheral IV line. Um, also, They could get um, bleeding or increased bleeding when they're being circumcised. This is for males in the neonatal when they're getting their heel pricked for being poked with like blood sugar checks. And then um, they could get mucocutaneous bleeding such as oral or nasal bleeding. And then extracranial bleeding can also occur in these children. So history of presenting illness. You want to ask them about different types of Bleeding, bleeding into the joints, usually um, they might have an unusual sensation in the joint, for example, tingling and tightness, loss of range of motion, bleeding into muscle, often follows injury or a sudden stretch, like if they overstretch a joint and then that precipitates a bleeding episode, generally associated with aching in the muscle and or swelling, and then they could get functional impairment. For example, limp associated with bleeding in the calf. Um, They could also have iliopasatsis. This is like the hip joint. Um, They might get a hematoma that may present with pain in the lower abdomen, the groin, um, the lower back. Typically, this is associated with hip joint pain on extension, but not on rotation. They could also get prolonged nosebleeds, hematuria, so this is uh, blood in their urine, visible blood in their urine, gastrointestinal bleeding. They could get intermittent oozing that lasts for days or weeks, heavy and or prolonged bleeding following dental work, um, circumcision just when they're younger, um, surgical or trauma. Heavy menstrual bleeding, this is where you're still kind of asking them for the different types of bleeding that they may have that could indicate they have a clotting issue. Neonatal intracranial bleeding or cephalohematomas. You want to ask for any um, potential trauma that could have led to the bleed, like were they in sports and they got impacted, like head-on collision with another person, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Or did they fall off a bike, or just had a really bad fall? Whatever the trauma may be, you want to ask for that, um, just so you can watch out for any other possible um, bleeding, such as muscle hematoma and intracranial hemorrhage, which may occur four to five days following an initial injury, like um, trauma impacted injury. You can ask them about excessive bruising, bruising, excessive bruising with firm subcutaneous hematomas. And of course, you want to ask them about their family history of abnormal or unexplained bleeding, and siblings, or their father's um, relatives, uncles, um, maternal cousins, or grandfathers to help with the diagnosis and narrow down if there might be a familiar um, familial linked Family history of hemophilia present in about 70% of the patients. Um, And it also presents in greater than 50% of patients with newly diagnosed severe hemophilia. Oh, sorry. Greater than 50% of patients with newly diagnosed severe hemophilia may not have prior family history of hemophilia. So they might be the first of the line of family that will be at risk for developing um, hemophilia. So for their physical um, assessment, you're looking at their, their heart rate may increase and blood pressure may decrease. This is usually with a large internal hemorrhage that is occurring is where you would see the hemodynamic instability. And then when you're looking at their skin, this may include you're looking for bruises, you're looking for subcutaneous hematoma, and the patient that I did have, she had a huge hematoma to her um, leg, and she also had um, internal bleeding, but that was related to some other things that were happening, but it did put her at a greater risk to keep bleeding, so we had to keep replacing Factor eight daily to basically prevent her from continuing to have spontaneous bleeds, and then also to um, not continue bleeding from the surgical procedures that she also went through. So the patients likely will have bruising around the skin if they have severe form of um, hemophilia or moderate form. Usually petechiae are not a form of hemophilia if they are present. This suggests that they might have severe thrombocytopenia so let's look at other parts of the body as you're going from head to toe but really the skin isn't part of the head but i guess you got to include it at some point um so we'll go to the neck you're looking at signs of throat and neck hemorrhage these should be considered a medical emergency because this is their airway and if it's not protected, then they are at risk of really bad complications, including death. You know what I'm saying? Um, you're looking at the abdomen. Findings of the abdomen may include um, GI bleeding, including hemoptysis. This is where you, if they have an NG or if they cough or if they vomit, there's blood in their emesis. Um, hematozoia or Molina, this is blood in their poop. And then abdominal bleeding, including retroperitoneal bleeding. You know the little kidneys back there? Yes. Um, Extremities, you're looking for bleeding into the joints, so you're palpating for warmth um, over the skin of the joints. You're looking for tenderness, you're looking for decreased range of motion. And then bleeding into the muscles. You're looking for discomfort in the muscle. You're looking for um, maintenance of limb position of comfort. Severe pain with stretching in the muscles, that's concerning. Pain if muscles are actively contracted, that's concerning. Tenderness, um, that can be vague. Pain on extension but not rotation of the hip. And then findings of chronic bleeding do include examples of pseudotumors and muscle contractures. And neurons, you're looking for signs of central nervous system hemorrhage. In the pelvic area, you are looking for signs that include um, the urinary tract, like signs that there are bleeding in the urinary tract. And now we will move on to making the diagnosis. So we should suspect hemophilia A in males with any of the following spontaneous bleeding, usually into joints, muscles, and soft tissue, frequent, easy bruising in early childhood, excessive prolonged, sorry, I got a notification on my phone, excessive prolonged or intermittent bleeding following trauma and surgery. Prolonged oozing or renewed bleeding after initial bleeding stops, um, following like a tooth extraction, circumcision, or mouth injury. Family history of bleeding. Intracranial bleeding in, in the absence of major trauma, neonatal intracranial bleeding and or cephalohepatoma, unexplained GI bleeding, and hematuria. Prolonged nose bleeds, particularly recurrent and bilaterally, okay? Bilateral epistaxis, Excessive bruising, especially with firm subcutaneous hematoma. Diagnosis is usually confirmed by low factor VIII activity level with normal von Willebrand factor antigen level and activity. Differential diagnosis. So how can we make sure that the diagnosis is correct and we kind of cut out all the other um, causes of bleeding? So you're making sure that they're von Willebrand, um, that they don't have von Willebrand disease. You're looking for acquired hemophilia A. You're looking for hemophilia B. You're excluding other coagulation factor deficiencies. You're um, looking for fibrinogen disorders, platelet function disorders, trauma or non-accidental injury. You're excluding other causes of spontaneous um, hemoarthrosis in adolescents and adults, which can include leukemia, thrombocytopenia, anticoagulant therapy, Sickle cell disease in adults and adolescents. Um, you're also looking at um, synovial sarcoma, pigmented von vono vono nodular synovialitis. Apparently, that's the thing. And then for testing, you're looking at their coagulation profile testing, factor eight activity. Um, Level is used for definitive diagnosis, classification of disease severity, and treatment monitoring. You're also looking at activated um, partial thromboplastin time, often used to screen patients, usually prolonged but maybe normal with mild hemophilia A, and absence of comorbid conditions and other um, coagulation parameters are normal, including you have normal von Willebrand factor antigen and activity assays, you have normal platelet count, and you have normal prothrombin time and in INR. We also have factor eight inhibitor testing. This is used to confirm the presence of inhibitor and um, quantitate it. Genetic testing to help determine factor 8 pathogenic variant can also be performed um, after the diagnosis of hemophilia A to predict clinical phenotype, which then can assess the risk of developing a factor 8 inhibitor and to obtain information for genetic counseling for at-risk family members. So, other blood tests we might do is basically a complete blood and coagulation profile testing. We can do coagulation screening tests, prolonged APTT, and then also um, factor eight activity and von Willebrand factor levels. And then we they could also do the factor eight inhibitor that I've mentioned, and then this. Inhibitors in hemophilia A are IgG, anti, um, allo antibodies that target exo, jo, exo, exogenous, that's the word, exogenous factor VIII, resulting in functional neutralization of infuse. So this is when the patient gets um, the replacement of factor VIII, so when you're infusing the actual um replacement medication to the patient to allow them to have that clotting factor. So it's coming from outside the body, and IgG goes and neutralizes what you just gave the patient to prevent them from bleeding, and that just makes it worse. So they can develop this inhibitor from receiving treatment for hemophilia. So. They are more common in patients with severe disease than those with moderate and mild disease, the inhibitors. What else can we do for our friends? I already told you about all of the inhibitor testing that they need to do. And I don't know if I mentioned this, but they can do genetic testing, which should be done in all patients with hemophilia A. Genetic testing, of course, may help predict clinical phenotype as I've mentioned, and assess the risk of developing that factor 8 inhibitor. Genetic testing may include um, mutation analysis to identify um, which type of mutation has occurred. And then um, genetic genetic testing may also inform genetic counseling, of course, if they Um, have other family members, males who could be at risk um, for this disease to inform them, you know, or if they have kids themselves, the patient to then um, know that the kids, the male kids will be at risk, then um, the females, females will be carriers, but the males could end up getting the two recessive genes. So if mom is a carrier and dad has it, then the the infant who is a male would be at greater risk for them developing hemophilia because he might get the two recessive genes. If you go back to the Punnett squares, if you went to nursing school or are in nursing school, you are aware of the Punnett squares. Or if you took bio, you are aware of the Punnett square, the dominant and the recessive genes. In this case, it would be the recessive genes. You get, you know, one from mom, one from dad. Now you're destined to... um, Receive whatever the gods have for you. Um, Where was I? Sorry, I'm losing track. Losing track. Okay, let's talk about management. All patients, of course, should be referred to a hematologist specialist if they have hemophilia A for their treatment. Goals for treatment and comprehensive care for patients with hemophilia A include Preventing bleeding and joint damage, prompt management of bleeding episodes, and follow up with physiotherapy and rehab to optimize individual clinical situation. Emergency care as appropriate, of course. These people are at risk for very, very um, could be very life-threatening bleeds. Pain management, of course, management of musculo-muscular skeletal complications. Management of inhibitors if they do develop inhibitors from being treated and being given factor eight. Management of comorbidities. Regular psychosocial evaluation and support as needed. Evaluation on treatment and self-care for patients and their families. Factor replacement protocols include episodic on-demand treatment given at a time of active bleeding, or they could have continuous prophylaxis. There is primary prophylaxis. This is regular continuous treatment initiated before occurrence of a second clinically um, event, large joint bleed, or prior to H3 in absence of documented joint disease. Secondary prophylaxis is Regular continuous treatment initiated after more than two large joint bleeds before an onset of joint disease. This usually occurs after the age of three. Tertiary prophylaxis. This is regular continuous treatment after onset of joint disease. This usually applies to prophylaxis initiated in adulthood for individuals who get diagnosed in adulthood. Other management issues to consider would be activity recommendations that should be determined in conjunction with um, a hemophilia specialist and um, generally include avoiding collision and high contact high velocity sports unless patient is receiving adequate prophylaxis. So they would be receiving um, infusions of factor eight on a regular basis to ensure that they're not at a very increased risk of bleeding for these high contact sports activities. And then also they have to be careful for activities, including weight bearing activities, but it is encouraged, um, for them to do weight bearing, um, activities, just not to overdo it because it's good to strengthen their muscles, And it's good for their overall health, for anybody's health, really, to do um, weight-bearing activities. Activities um, that may be considered for closer monitoring or just being a bit more diligent would be, this is for carriers who are symptomatic, Um, women who are in their pregnancy or about to deliver, they just have to be a lot more careful. Children and adults with hemophilia A should receive some routine vaccinations as the general population. In most cases, subcutaneous route is preferred versus intramuscular because they have that increased risk for intramuscular bleed. Or they could, um, oh, don't do intramuscular or intradermal route in patients. It is preferred that you do subcutaneous. Um, with in patients with hemophilia, unless they are covered by a factor um, concentrates, like they're getting infusions and treatment regularly to replace their factor H. Management of acute bleeding: acute bleeds should be treated as quickly as possible. Of course, it's an emergency. Somebody's bleeding. You want to make sure that you um, are actively doing something to stop the bleed or to replace. Um, blood, depending on what their hemoglobin is and how rapid the bleeding is occurring. The primary goal of treatment is to increase factor VIII levels so that they could clot and not continue to bleed as you're replacing their blood loss. If severe, treat with factor replacement immediately, even before diagnostic assessment is completed to diagnose them. In addition to increasing factor E to levels of factor replacement or desmopressin in case of mild hemophilia A, adjunct measures for acute bleeding include, of course, protection you're splunting the joint, rest and optimizing, um, balancing rest with early mobility because you don't want them to decondition either. And then, of course, working on you start to get better. ICE. Compression elevation of the joint, hormonal therapy such as oral, subcutaneous, or transdermal formulation containing estrogen, progesterone, progesterone, and other um, hormonal replacements. Anti um, fibrinolytic agents are useful for controlling um, menorrhagia and caries, and then to so this like excessive period bleeding. In patients without inhibitors that have not developed inhibitors, you want to give them um, factor uh, well, you still want to give them factor 8 because you want it to stop the bleeding, but the half-life of factor 8 is about 12 hours in adults. Half-life is shorter in children it and it increases with age. Desmopressin IV can be used for treatment of acute minor bleeding in patients with mild or moderate hemophilia. can also be administered um, 150 micrograms per meter dose as nasal spray. Antifarbinolytic monotherapy or um, adjuvant therapy dosing for mild mucosal or skin bleeding. And then also... Um, patients can also get tranexamic acid, which also helps to stop bleeding. In patients with inhibitors that have developed inhibitors, acute bleeds should be treated as quickly as possible, ideally within two hours, but as quickly as possible. Um, Patients should be established on a home treatment as soon as possible, educated to recognize early symptoms of bleeds, And instructed on early self-treatment regimens. Patients should have 24-hour access to experienced clinicians in case they have an experience, they have an emergency at home and they just need guidance on what to do next. Bleeding should be managed in consultation with an experienced, um, treatment center. But these patients can come into a regular ER and still be treated if they know their diagnosis, um, It will be on their file, and if they come in with a bleeding-related incident, then the team would be likely to get treatment underway um, very quickly. If this is not their first time, they're not just getting diagnosed for it. Choice of treatment agents should be based on inhibitor, um, tier, records of clinical response to agents, site and nature of bleed, and product um, availability. In patients with mild, moderate hemophilia and inhibitor, um, they can consider desmopressin. These are um, treatments that physicians would um, basically navigate through based on the patient presentation. Nursing usually wouldn't be making any of these decisions on terms of what sort of agents to treat them with? We would be more concerned with monitoring the patient's vital signs, monitoring the patient's clinical um, progression, and if they're getting worse, and informing the physician that um, this is how the patient is, this is how they're progressing, this is what's happening, this is their hemodynamic stability, this is um, what we've done so far, and what else could be occurring. So you're letting them know, you know, so that they can treat. As things progress. So in patients with um, severe hemophilia um, and and an inhibitor and low responders, treatments with higher than usual dose of factor VIII concentrate is preferable to increase, um, is preferable rather than trying to increase the frequency of how often it's given. They would prefer that you give a bigger dose, but these are all decisions. Speaking in a nursing perspective, these are things your provider would be considering when they are examining the patient. And then, um, tranexamic acid should be considered in all patients with an acute bleed, especially a mucosal bleed, which are not receiving high doses um, of all the other stuff. However, it is contraindicated for treatment of hematuria. So, if there is evidence of blood in the urine, it's not a recommended um, treatment for it due to the risk that the patient might get urinary obstruction from it going to clot up the side of the bleed. Um, what else? What else? If the bleed does not respond to bypassing agents, consider removing inhibitor using plasmophoresis and immunoabsorption and high dose factor eight um, concentrate. So these are all other progressive things that your physician would be looking at based on how the patient's responding to the current treatment plan that they have decided to try. And then, you know, things would be adjusted as we went along to see how the patient would, would or is responding to treatment. Okay, so prevention of bleeding. Um, Measures to prevent or reduce bleeding, of course, include prophylactic factor replacement, um, avoidance of antiplatelet agents, particularly aspirin and NSAIDs, unless there is strong indication for their use such as for atherosclerotic um, cardiovascular disease. If it is necessary to administer in patients with severe hemophilia A, factor VIII prophylaxis is usually required for these agents to be used safely. Otherwise, you are putting that patient at higher risk for bleed, even though you're trying to prevent complications from their heart, having that plaque there and that um, vascular disease. Of course, you're wanting to avoid intramuscular injections, so these would be more um, nursing considerations because you're the one going to care for the patient. If there's anything you do have to inject, you want to perf- you want to try to avoid intramuscular um, injections, and then um, you are advising the patient to avoid activities likely to cause trauma, so like sports, high impact sports. Um, of course, good oral hygiene to prevent dental. Um, caries or uh, dental, um, what do you call it, teeth decaying, um, dental health, which may increase um, gum bleeding. And then, of course, prophylaxis for bleeding. Primary prophylaxis with clotting factor is indicated in all children with severe hemophilia, all children with baseline um, hemophilia Factor 8 level of 1 to 3%. Any patient who has developed more than one spontaneous joint bleeding, any patient with established joint damage due to hemo- hemoarthrosis who has ongoing bleeding, um, on patients with severe hemophilia A or moderate disease we want to consider initiation of primary prophylaxis prior to or immediately after a first drip bleed, which is usually at time of ambulation. And then in patients who develop spontaneous intracranial hemorrhage, we want to start prophylaxis um, after initial uh, treatment and then continue long term. And then of course the docs will have all the different agents that they can use as um, prophylaxis agent, and then that will depend on the patient and their profile, what they're presenting with, what they're responding to. Um, so, optimizing prophylaxis regimen, consider aiming for prevention of all bleeds, especially in young children. And then, we want to individualize prophylaxis regimen according to the patient's usual daily activity, schedule, preferences, um, not based on factor eight target peak and trough levels. These are like minute details that your physician will be looking at. In terms of nursing, we're just more on the patient side, really. More on the monitoring side. The physician's more on the detailed and the deep dive side of their disease and what's going on and all the intricacies. That's what they have time for. We have multiple patients that we have to physically monitor. That's what we have time for, really. Um, Parphylaxis duration. We want to provide lifelong prophylaxis for these patients. If prophylaxis has been discontinued in an adult patient, consider reinitiating the prophylaxis if and when spontaneous hemoarthrosis or any bleeding that interferes with quality of life develops. Okay, so complications. This is more in terms of like treatment. Development of inhibitors. Inhibitors refer to IgG, alloimmune antibodies that neutralize factor eight that is being infused into the patient. This complicates clotting factor therapy. Um, and then inhibitors report are reported to develop in up to 30% of patients among previously untreated patients with hemophilia A, 79% of inhibitor development in these patients um, report to occur within the first 20 exposures of factor eight replacement therapy, or just factor replacement, because there's other agents that you can also use. And an additional 21% are reported to occur within the first 75 exposures. 20 to 30% lifetime risk in patients with severe Hemophilia A, 5 to 10% lifetime risk in patients with moderate to uh, mild hemophilia A. So there is classification of inhibitors. Low-responding inhibitors are usually, um, they tend to be transient with positive inhibitor dropping below threshold within six months without change in treatment. High responding inhibitors are usually um, long lasting inhibitors that may fall or become undetectable um, after a long interval without factor con- without factor concentrate exposures, but return three to five days after rechallenge. So basically, if a patient stop ge- stop ge- getting an infusion, this inhibitor will kind of just like mm, whittle away and just fall off the face of the earth essentially not really fall off the face of the earth but you know dip low enough that it's not inhibiting and then as soon as that patient gets like a new infusion three to five days later they're like back up they're like we are here and we are here to defend neutralize the target the threat they literally are like oh we're just doing our job we see that this guy has come again to visit us we don't like it neutralize So, that's that. Risk of inhibitor development may vary um, according to factor H genetic mutations. Risk factors for inhibitors development um, and patient with severe hemophilia A are host-related. So, basically, depending on what sort of genetic mutation they have, it will um, determine how likely they are to develop these inhibitors that will then counteract their therapy. Okay, that is it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was a really long one. Um, All the information that I have reviewed with you guys can be found on Dynamed. This is um, a form, a website, that my hospital provides. Mostly it's like a... um, resource that physicians use, um, to look up diseases, but, um, your organization might might also, um, have it available to you for you to look up things, look up information. It's really detailed. It's really nice. If you're ever just wondering if you want to look up a topic, it's really concise. Um, it's usually up to date with all the research. Um, so it's really nice to just kind of pull all the information together. That you just want to look at and don't have to look at multiple sources to see what goes where for certain diseases. A lot of diseases you can find on DynaMed. It's a really helpful resource for healthcare workers. Um, but that's again DynaMed. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I hope you guys um, are having a good time studying. Um, feel free to leave a comment. Feel free to give me some feedback. And um, just to reiterate. This is all for studying purposes. This is not medical advice, and this is all just for the fun of it. I enjoy um, going back and looking at certain diseases and just going through it and trying to work it out in my head and understand it a bit more. So I hope you guys enjoy, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye now.